0: This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Launchpad on Business Radio. Hello and welcome, you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host this week, Carl Ulrich. I'm Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, where I teach entrepreneurship, innovation, as well as product design. Uh, Let's jump right in. My first guest for today's show, joining me via Zoom, is G.T. Dave, founder and CEO of G.T.'s Kombucha, which is part of the G.T.'s Living Foods brand. G.T., thanks for joining us.
1: Hello, Carl, how are you? Nice to have, nice to be here with you.
0: Yeah, so I, I got myself in, in the mood. I'm here ha- enjoying a glass of kombucha myself, but uh, go ahead and, uh, which is is my favorite beverage, by the way. So I'm really excited to be talking to you about, about kombucha. So uh, let's get started. Give us the elevator pitch for GT's Kombucha.
1: Yes, well, GT's Kombucha has been around for 25 years. We make the premier handcrafted organic and raw kombucha. It takes about 30 days to grow. We are essentially stewards of nature. So we grow this fermented tea, which is rich in probiotics, enzymes, and natural detoxifiers, which has been known to help the body achieve a state of balance through detoxification and replenishment of the digestion. I first got started because kombucha helped my mom with her breast cancer in 1995. And it was her story that inspired me to share it with the world.
0: Okay, but G.T., you know, you and I are on video, so I can see your face. You look like you're not more than 25 years old. So how is it possible G.T.'s kombucha is 25 years old?
1: It's the kombucha baby. That's what it is. <laughs> it keeps you young, healthy, fit, and good looking.
0: <laughs> All right, I'm drinking right now. Yeah. <laughs> but, but seriously, you did start it as a teenager. Isn't that right? I did. Give yeah, us I the origin story. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was really interesting. I was going to high school. Um, I wasn't doing very well because I had an interesting background where I I went to Catholic private school for the first eight years of my academic life. So first grade to eighth grade essentially. And then when I left eighth grade and went went to Beverly Hills um, High School, which was a public school, although yes, a lot of people listening are like, oh, poor him, it was Beverly Hills. (laughs) But to be honest, it it was quite a, a shell shock to go from classrooms of about 30 people that you would see every day for every class, which is what my Catholic school um, circumstances were like to go to a much bigger school where not only did you not know a lot of people, there were no uniforms, you you had to pick your identity essentially. There was all these different cultures and ethnicities that I wasn't really exposed to. And so I naturally kind of lost myself. And so I spent the first half trying to fit in and the second half of my high school career trying to run away. And so I actually ended up taking my GED to leave high school and start City College early. And so the reason why I bring this up, I was at an interesting crossroads in my life where I was really choosing an alternative path. And then around this time, my parents had been making and drinking kombucha for the last couple of years. And so I had been observing their consumption of kombucha, but I personally wasn't participating in it because I candidly thought kombucha was a little too far out for me. But it wasn't until kombucha, as I mentioned earlier, helped my mom with her breast cancer and where I got to witness firsthand the impact, the positive impact that it had on her health, where it really opened my eyes and almost laid a path for me of what I could potentially choose to find my purpose in this world. And because in my mind, I was doing the math, of course, I thought, well, I'm leaving high school early. I'm about two years ahead of my peers. I could pursue this thing called kombucha, and it would rather, A, fail, (laughs) and at least I would learn a lot, and I could go back to City College and not really miss a beat, and I'd technically still be ahead of my peers, or better yet, it could take off, and then I could actually do something that I love, I believe in, that what I hope is going to help the world, Um, and it's giving me a sense of purpose, because I I was raised a vegetarian, so I was very much aware of how food can be your medicine, and kombucha, kombucha certainly was in line with that
0: yeah wow it's amazing story you know I, I think our listeners we got to give some some perspective on the timeline here i mean 1995 i certainly hadn't heard of kombucha i don't think anybody had heard of kombucha and i mean that's very recent phenomenon and so in 1995 you start a kombucha company did you have any inkling that it could be a big thing or was it just okay it's like a little side project
1: we. it was funny. I mean, I deep down in my heart knew that kombucha was something that was going to be big because I knew how it made me feel, how it made my mother feel and how virtually everyone that encountered it really had this almost visceral reaction. Like they fell in love with it, not because it's the best tasting thing, because it's somewhat unusual with its flavor profile. It's not sweet. It's more sour, but people really loved how it made them feel. And, you know, I remember growing up is that there's not a whole lot of things that people will remember, you know, they sometimes remember what you say, sometimes remember what you do, but they almost always remember how you made them feel. So the fact that kombucha made them feel a certain way, to me, was a version of solid gold. But on the flip side, because I was um, received with so much resistance, and so much doubt, because trying to sell this raw fermented tea that kind of smelled and looked weird in a world where Sobe, Snapple, and vitamin water pretty much dominated the category, it, it was, you know, the odds were not in my favor. So in many ways, I didn't think it was gonna get very far, but honestly, I, I didn't really mind because in, in, in my heart, I just really wanted to make one great bottle and that was kind of my standard. And if I did so, then I was successful. So I had a kind of a humble standard of success and it allowed me to never really get discouraged.
0: Yeah, you know, I gotta believe in in the broad arc of kombucha since 1995, there are at least two major epochs. Uh, in 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 2015, 2016, it really took off in the United States. You know, tripling since then. But it was a pretty slow slow ramp from 1995 for the first 20 years. Is that how you saw it? Was it a very different business when it took off, or? Or, well, I don't know, you tell, tell us what the chapters were. And, yeah. You
1: know, yeah, I mean, I would say there was many different chapters of success. I would say, you know, certainly the first 10 years was the company growing up, as well as myself as a human being and as an entrepreneur growing up. And as I've said before, I, I started and ran my business early on as almost like an overprotective parent, where I was just really particular and really protective of making sure I didn't grow too fast or didn't put the product in, uh, in, in a wrong, on the wrong shelves. Like I was very even resistant to fast growth. Like when the big chains called me initially, I kind of turned them down because I was concerned that I wasn't able to scale and maintain quality. So the first 10 years was really me learning how to do that, how to kind of let go, but at the same time, hold on if that makes sense, where I was able to relinquish certain control, but at the same point, always keeping control of quality. So by 2005 is when my company went nationwide with our distribution. And that to me was pretty much a critical moment because leading up to that, I was primarily on the West Coast, so call it West of the Mississippi, but I was getting incredible demand from the East Coast. And then finally, when we did expand to the East Coast, it just took off. And I was selling out of product faster than I could make it, which wow. in, in many minds is like you know, solidified success. And so again 2005 was probably the most most one of the biggest milestones but then cut to 5 years later which is now 2010 and then kombucha re- reached another kind of critical mass through unfortunately a controversy which was a, a concern about alcohol in kombucha so through that kombucha almost became a household name not in ways that I hoped or prayed for but regardless you know as they say any news is good news as long as they spell your name right. So that also, I think in many ways, catapulted kombucha into, in many my, in many ways, the forefront of people's minds. And then to your point, it wasn't until 2010 to 2015, where I think the consciousness of the marketplace started to shift. So prior to that, I was almost having to educate people of like, this is why you need it. This is what health is about. This is what gut health is about. But luckily, I was no longer alone in that conversation. And so a lot of other people, nutritionists, you know, influencers, celebrities started to kind of um, subscribe to that similar lifestyle. So kombucha started to become just one of the many things that people were drinking. And I think its history and its health benefits slowly became something that people were much, much more aware of. So that certainly helped.
0: Well, uh, speaking of spelling your name, right, let's make sure we do point our listeners to your website. So it's gtslivingfoods.com gt is gt dave's that's what you go by but i believe i did some stealthing i believe it's was originally george thomas dave is that right yeah yes. so it's gt dave uh and it's gt's living foods i mean you really can't miss it if you just google uh, gt kombucha you'll you'll find it um so so gti I, it's super curious there was a real inflection point in 2015 2016, did the demand, which what did the demand lead the competition? Lay over that that timeline, what was happening in the competitive landscape. So demand's growing. Was competition booming faster or were were was demand booming faster? It was kind of
1: both. Uh, and so I'll, I'll explain that. So what happened was is because kombucha is incredibly delicate and very difficult to produce, we don't really make kombucha, we grow it. So if you think of almost like a piece of agriculture, there, you know, nature needs to run its course before that fruit or vegetable is is ready to sell and of course ready for consumption. And so the reason why that's important is when demand jumps, at the end of the day, if you're making kombucha right, by the way, um, you, you hit a temporary ceiling of how much you can produce and therefore you kind of fall into a deficit. So the demand exceeds your supply, which of course is a good thing, but not when people are fanatically consuming this product for their daily health. And so they drink it daily. And so what happens is is that deficit almost starts feeding on itself. And the next thing you know, you're so far behind, right? Right. So that's what kind of happened almost every three years from call it 2005 to about 2015. And the reason why it happened is because, you know, I wasn't really advertising for my products, the, the growth and popularity was primarily word of mouth. So it's not like I was really prepared for the growth or really could predict the growth. And so it would kind of happen randomly and it would really spike. And it sometimes spiked to such a degree that I actually would have to go and build another facility, <laughs> which you know is not easy because it's not only expensive, but very time consuming. The average time frame to build a facility is about a year. And so there was about a year, virtually every three years, um, where I fell into this deficit, wasn't able to increase my capacity, and therefore the shelves started to go bare. Now, um, my competition, past and present, was very observant in witnessing that the shelves were going bare and that this thing called kombucha was very popular, and this brand called GT's Kombucha was struggling to keep up. That was their cue to, hey, you know what? I'm going to start a kombucha company. <laughs> and that's what happened. And so uh, you know, in many ways, and certainly there's other circumstances, so I'm generalizing, of course, but in, in many ways, I gave birth to my competition, um, which, you know, sometimes they don't recognize, but it, it, it really is why kombucha became such a crowded category is a lot of people saw an opportunity and jumped right in. And oh, by the way, this is a very critical thing is during the, you know, Great Recession, so call it the 2008 real estate crash, kombucha was one of the few categories that was still growing double digits. Mm. And so what happened is, is not only did that amplify the eyeballs, if you will, of people watching me and watching maybe the gaps on the shelf or supply deficiencies or whatever, but then you started to have big companies like the Cokes and the Pepsis and the PE firms doing their kind of analysis and be like, oh, well, you know, the coconut water category is dying and the pressed juice category is dying, but- this thing called kombucha is rapidly increasing. So then that gave birth to a whole nother type of competitor, which was a very aggressive type, meaning that they have deep pockets, they'll stop at nothing to to win. And unfortunately what comes along with that is they do cut corners. So that's where I feel that we've been in for the last couple of years where kombucha's slowly kind of lost its identity a little bit because these newer, bigger companies have tried to take control of the narrative. And of course, that's not something I'm very happy about. So it's something I continue to, to work to, to resolve and protect.
0: If you're just joining us, you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. Today, I'm joined by GT Dave, who's the founder and CEO of GT's Kombucha, which is part of the GT's Living Foods brand. Wow, GT, I got so many questions about that. Let's Let's start with the capacity question. So I suspect when you were 15, you just didn't know any better, and you started making kombucha and not thinking there were any alternatives to making it yourself. But at some point, you must have faced the decision, do I build my own factory, or do I go find a co-packer who can make this stuff? How did you think about that, or did you ever think about that, and why did you decide to do it yourself?
1: You're right. You know, I did think about that. And, you know, to be honest, when I first heard the term co-packer and what that really meant, I, like was astonished I was like you mean I would give my recipe to someone else and they would make my product for me and there's like no funny business about them stealing my recipe or anything like that so I honestly Carl didn't understand it and I didn't like it yeah um and so I naturally chose to not do that because as I said it's different if you're making soda If, if it's like sugar, water, flavor, go, go at it, send it to a co-packer, you know, save, save the pain and suffering that comes along with running your own mon- manufacturing facility. But when you're making a kombucha or something that's very handcrafted, very sensitive, um, you, you really do, in my opinion, need to make it on, on your own if you really are making, making sure quality is your king, which it certainly is mine. And so it, there was no question in my mind that making it myself was the only path for me, and so naturally that's what I did so whether that was day one where I was making it my parents kitchen or day you know 600 when I was now almost two years in business and then I opened up my first commercial facility in Gardena California. Um, you know candidly what was the bigger bigger challenge, and it was I think this goes back to me growing up is the bigger hurdle that I had to overcome is trusting someone else that I employed to make my product. Wow, that that was hard. That was the closest I could get to co backing
0: <laughs> Wow, letting someone else make it for you. Yeah, you know it's it's interesting. So I I I literally was just doing my grocery shopping before I started the show, and I saw your product on the on the virtual shelf uh, at Whole Foods, and I saw a competitor's product there, and I and then I started reading your your website or somewhere I saw that you've also. Uh, expanded distribution into some big, big players like Costco, and I wondered, in a market that's booming, where you have competitors that are essentially packed by, backed by Coca-Cola, who can move, I don't know, a million cases a week if they if they want to. Um, how do you find the right niche? Because because to compete with them, you can't really move ten million cases a week uh, and keep the quality where you want to, where you want it to be. So how do you find the right the right balance between quality and preserving those original ideals while still maintaining a big chunk of the market?
1: Yeah, well, it's not easy. Um, Luckily, with again, with kombucha and products like kombucha, luckily for us, the consumer is not easily fooled, right? You can't just make a carbonated flavored something and call it kombucha and expect that the consumer will pay any amount of money for it. Mm. Now, of course, there's exceptions, which is why some of those products still exist today. But I would say the majority of consumers are smarter than that. And so I think from their own intelligence dovetailing with just the education around kombucha, especially the education that myself and my brand continues to further of like, you need to know what you're consuming. It's not easy for just any brand, big or small, to jump in with you know, call it a snake oil or cutting corners and expect success that at least will last long term. And so that's why a lot of these brands over the course of the 25 years, honestly, about 80% of them have come and gone. And Mm -hmm. a lot of them, I mean, Red Bull, for instance, even tried to make a kombucha and they tried to make a kombucha back in like 2007. And it didn't go anywhere because in addition to the quality, Carl, it's really about, is your heart in it? Mm -hmm. Because making kombucha, as I said earlier, is not easy it's not even that lucrative early on so you have to there you have to kind of um, do it for other reasons and it, and it, it you have to be pretty transparent about it or it actually is pretty transparent even whether you're being transparent or not meaning the consumer can tell if this is legit or if you're just kind of you know smoke and mirrors and so fortunately even with the costco example that you've given we've been very fortunate to not have to go head to head with a major brand and have them win because luckily we still th- do things the right way, which is the hard way. And big companies, for whatever reason, don't do it that way. They go yeah. down, dirty, cheap, fast, blow it up, scale, and that's it. And kombucha doesn't really qualify or meet that criteria.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I think our our listeners, many of our listeners will know will know your brand, but to calibrate them, I mean, you're a private company, so you won't say exact numbers, but let's say you're selling hundreds of millions of dollars a year of, of kombucha. Um, how, do you, how, how do you finance that? Because you've stayed completely independent, if I understand correctly. And you're selling to Costco. I'm guessing Costco doesn't pay you in advance for, uh, for, the, for, the, for the cases and cases of kombucha you have to ship to them. Yeah.
1: Well, they certainly don't pay in advance, but um, the good news is Costco does pay quickly, which you know a lot of our customers do. And so I, I guess the question you're going after is, you know, I, I learned early on that you never wanna be at the mercy of anybody, right? Whether that's a partner, an investor, a bank, what have you, because that can little by little slowly start to erode at your purpose and your passion as you become fearful of like, oh my God, am I gonna pay back that debt? Am I gonna pay back that loan? What about this interest rate? So I was completely comfortable with self-financing myself up until today. I mean, it, it really is the psychology that I have is that if I can't afford to do it, then I shouldn't do it. And what, what of course, helps me is that because kombucha doesn't like to be mass produced, I can't even go and build a million square foot facility tomorrow and expect to utilize all that space because my, my, my small batch kombucha wouldn't be ready for it. So there, I guess what I'm saying is there's this interesting check check and balance that goes on in my world that really suppresses opportunities to be, call it reckless or financially aggressive, um, but still allow me to be on that straight and narrow path. And and believe me, there's times where it can be challenging. Um, As I mentioned in the past when we were hitting certain capacity constraints, but I think at the end of the day, it keeps me honest. It keeps me um, aligned with integrity and again, what I believe is a, a long term practice, which is making a great product and doing things the right way.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, uh, give us a sense of of what's next. I mean, you you have been on a, I mean, kombucha has been on a pretty amazing twenty year run and a twenty five year run. It could be well a few thousand years. With the last twenty five years being of, of particular <laughs> interest. But but and it could be the case that it has another 25 years, but it could be the case that it goes the way of uh, Sobe or or Snapple or other kinds of categories. So how have you thought about the future and what what else is coming from uh, from GT's Living Foods?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So first of all, to your credit, that question was very astute because first of all, um, call it the bastardization of any category or product is something that's more likely to happen, just as you mentioned, Sobe, coconut water, pressed juice, the list goes on and on. So that is why I remain committed even more so and more than ever before to help educate the public and the consumer of what makes kombucha special, what makes kombucha kombucha kombucha, and what is not kombucha. Because in my mind, it really is the misinformation that exists about these types of products, which is what ultimately leads to their demise. So, um, you know, I'm not gonna allow that to happen on my watch which is why I have a science advisory board that I spearheaded to help um, incorporate science into kombucha and to help create a standard of identity, which I think is important not only in the eyes of consumers, but hopefully in the minds of legislators, where you won't legally be able to make a sparkling water and call it kombucha. Mm-hmm. So that's point one. Point two, and this is make sure that I'm not putting all my eggs in one basket, is as a company as in the, and as a brand, we continue to innovate because there's a a, a real good reason why I didn't rename the company GT's Kombucha in 2017, and instead I named it it GT's Living Foods. And the reason for that is we exist for living foods, foods that provide life, support life, and make you feel more alive. And does kombucha do that? Absolutely. Is it the only thing that does it? Absolutely not. So in, in addition to my, call it my affinity for these types of living foods, over the last couple of years, I've spearheaded many other living foods that are complementary to kombucha, but don't compete with kombucha. So whether that's an adaptogenic mushroom drink called Alive, which has um, reishi, chaga and turkey tail, which in my opinion is what kombucha was 25 years ago, uh-huh. like very cutting edge, like ancient knowledge, ancient nutrition, things that we're all gonna need, whether we know it or not. Then you have your water kefir, which is I, I call kind of a younger sister to kombucha. It starts off with a um, kefir, culture crystal that originated on the pads of the prickly pear cactus in Mexico in the 1800s. It's like a kombucha in that it's fermented, but it's not sour and it has completely different diverse probiotics for it that are known to give you different effects than what kombucha gives you. We also have the first and only fully raw plant-based yogurt called Coco Yo. We have a, a series of wellness shots, immunity shots, digestion shots, and beauty shots hitting the market called Immortal, which is something we're really excited about. And, and the list goes on and on. And so I think the quick answer is where I intend to take my company and my brand is into the future with cutting edge products that complement each other. And at the same time are completely aligned through this philosophy of food being your medicine. And so that's really why we exist.
0: That's that's really cool. Okay, well, we just have a couple minutes left. I wanna turn to helping out some of our listeners. I, I've done a, a lot of, food startups on the show, a lot of food entrepreneurs out there. Everybody's got some cool thing they'd like to try out as a new food brand. What advice would you give to a food entrepreneur who's, who's got some interesting food product and, and wants to make a go of it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So what I say to almost every entrepreneur, and especially one making food, because I do believe food is one of the most sacred things that you can make. And if you think about it, making something that someone's gonna ingest, put in their body should never be taken lightly. So what I always say is first and foremost, follow your heart and do what you love. Because if you don't love it, the money, the fame, the fortune, it's not gonna do it for you. You gotta live and lead from your heart, number one. Number two, do what makes the world a better place. And I know that sounds incredibly cheesy, but especially as we are hopefully are coming out of the pandemic, I think we're all learning that we need to work together to heal the world. And one of the best ways in my opinion of doing that is healing the world with your products. And of course, if those are food products, then not only can you heal the world, but you can also heal people. So it's really making sure that you marry your personal love with the mission of making the world a better place. Because if you have that, I believe no matter what happens from that point on, good will come your way. Because not only will you be happy, but the people that you talk to, they will resonate with your authentic message And they will resonate that you're genuinely existing to make their lives better and improve their health. And that is always a good thing. And that will always lead to success.
0: All right. Well, you've certainly modeled that advice and it's an incredible story. Um, GT Dave, thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you, Carl. I appreciate you having me on.
0: All right. Where can our listeners go to to find your product or to learn more?
1: So of course you can go to gtslivingfoods.com you can go to our Instagram handle which is gt's kombucha and then you can always find me on Instagram which is gt dave 3
0: all right we're going to take a short break i'm carl Ulrich, and this is launchpad business radio series xm 132
1: for more insight from business radio please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu